Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. Hey, we're in part six of a series we've been calling Indestructible Joy. Would you say that with me? Indestructible Joy. Uh, how many of you have found that in these days and times, it's, uh, it's a necessity, indestructible joy, that the enemy seems to just be coming, 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 uh, picking, picking, picking. And last week, we talked about prayer and the importance of prayer in the Apostle Paul's life and how that was a sustaining force, a powerhouse, if you will, how it paved the way for the glory of God, the power of God in his ministry. We talked about Paul and, and um, oh gosh, you know, how he ha- encourages us to pray always, pray without ceasing, pray continually in all things through prayer and supplication. All these different terms the Apostle Paul uses because prayer was just the backbone. Prayer was the, f- the force, if you will, behind Paul's life and ministry that was so incredibly important. So was talking to you last week about praying always, praying without ceasing. And, uh, and I will tell you this, this morning, because my perspective on pastoring is always to be as transparent as I possibly can be, because uh, I don't want to be put on a pedestal. I, I want to be right with you in the journey. I, I want to pastor in such a way that that we're walking together, and uh, and you know I'm not perfect, and I know you're not perfect, but we're serving the perfect one, amen? And uh, last week, we talked about praying without ceasing, and guess what? I had a week that required praying without ceasing, and uh, in fact, we got some news. We won't share it at this point because it's not quite appropriate at this point in time to share it, but that turned our world upside down. And uh, at some point, we'll share that with you. But right now, uh, we're praying without ceasing. And you can pray with us and for us in the midst of uh, the challenges that are happening. And they're not just happening for us. They're happening for you, too. I understand that. Uh, Just like they're happening to God's people, right? Uh, We're seeing Israel attacked, the enemy coming against them in heinous ways, horrible ways. But we're talking about an indestructible joy, and we define it as this. An indestructible joy means that you have a joy that no matter what happens in your life, you continue to trust and praise God. Can you just say, praise God? Praise God. (laughs) Knowing that God in no circumstance has the final word over your life. And this morning, uh, we're going to delve into a passage. I think one of the reasons that Philippians is one of my very favorite epistles is there's so many quotable quotes. If you know much about me, I love quotable quotes. And um, little, little, little nuggets of truth have withstained me for over 30 years in my walk with God. And, and Paul is a master of them. The Lord helped him create some little nuggets that are just so powerful. And we're going to touch on one today, one of my favorites, one of the deepest, one that really requires us, I think, 
to, to stop and meditate and ask God, what does it mean for us? And it's simply these words, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this morning, listen, that indestructible joy that we're talking about, nowhere is this truer than when it relates to literally the physical death of the followers of Jesus. Even death itself doesn't have the final word over a Christian. Do you realize that? Only God does. And his word over you is life. It's life, abundant life, life beyond description or compare, life eternal. So I want to say to you this morning, even death doesn't have the final word. In other words, you can't scare me with heaven. You shouldn't be able to scare any true believer with the thought that, hey, you're going to heaven. No, that should be the ultimate encouragement. So this morning, I want to look at this concept. I want to look at these words of the Apostle Paul found in Philippians 1, 21 through 26. Look at it as we read it together this morning. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you and being confident of this. I know I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Wow. Paul has a powerful way with words. The Holy Spirit crafts some powerful words for to me to live is Christ. Paul makes it clear, doesn't he? that his life purpose stated right here in Philippians chapter 1, it is Matthew six thirty three being lived out, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Paul's got that clear. He's got that down. He knew Jesus wasn't kidding, that you and I are to give our all in seeking the Lord and serving the Lord. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ's kingdom in the pursuit of Jesus, his beautiful face is Paul's first priority. First priority, Paul says, I'm going to live my life fully about the Father's business. He's spirit-filled. He preaches the gospel. He heals the brokenhearted. He proclaims liberty. He recovers the sight of the blind, sets at liberty the oppressed, proclaims God's favor. He's doing all of those things. He's living out this passion, this one absolute love. He's living it out in such a way that quite honestly, <laughs> you do not have to wonder if Paul is living for Christ. Just read his story, read his journey, look at his life, 
and you'll find the obvious, tangible, definable kingdom fruit. In fact, let me put it this way. There's ample evidence to convict him because there's no doubt whatsoever he's living for Christ. That brings us to an interesting place today, maybe a question that we should take just a moment to really ask ourselves today. How about you? How about me? How would you fill in the blank this morning? Now, let's be honest, okay? Let's don't play church. Let's just be honest before the Lord. Playing church just doesn't get us anywhere, does it? We're really good at times at being fake and not being fully honest, but God sees through every bit of that. How do you fill in the blank? Just, just you and the Lord today. Just be honest. For me to live is what? How would you fill it in? For me to live is... But let's be honest this morning. If we answer Christ, because that's what we think we should answer, right? And that's what we do a lot of times. We know the church answer to give, right? We know the, the right answer to give. Then it absolutely leads us to this place of asking the question, well, then is there obvious, tangible, definable fruit and evidence? Where is the fruit? What is the evidence let me just say this. I think the church in America especially, I don't see this so much in other parts of the world, but for whatever reason, the Americanized church has gotten the goal of the church confused. I think for a lot of us, we think, you know, if we're a part of the church, the goal is just to be nice. Well, I'm just going to be nice. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to going to be a nice person. Just going to, you know, treat people nice and I mean, I don't smoke anymore. Um, I mean, I don't I don't I don't say some of the things I used to say anymore. But we tend we tend to water down what true Christianity really is at its essence and its, its root, and that is a transformed life, a transformed heart living a transformed life. It's, it's not just about being nice, right? It's about actually representing Jesus to the world around us. Being nice isn't the goal, we're to magnify Jesus to everyone we come in contact with. They're to see something different about us. It's not just to be nice. It's good to be nice. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying in any way go out and be mean and cruel and harsh today. You understand what I'm saying? But there's a whole lot more to a transformed heart than just being nice today. There's a gospel that needs to be communicated to a lost and a dying world, and without it, they'll not have the power of God unto salvation. 
and you can't communicate it just through your kindness. You have to use your voice. You have to be a declarer. You have to be a proclaimer. You have to live, yes, in such a way that people can point and say, there's kingdom fruit in that person's life. There's, there's, there's something different about them. The result, the result of them living for Christ, not, not in arrogance in any way, just in fact. We can't miss the boat. We're to live fruitful lives, fruit that, that remains and by the way, it's only when we're living for Christ is dying actually gain. Otherwise, it's just hell. It's time for some of us to start thinking eternally. While there's still time for some of us, to make necessary changes in our lives so that we can honestly say along with the Apostle Paul and mean it, for me to live is Christ. Jesus tells a story, it's a really interesting one in Luke chapter 12. This one doesn't seem to get a lot of, a lot of pulpit time. It's a story to wake up people who've become worldly, complacent, materialistic, living for the temporary. We don't like, I, I, I think in our culture, we don't like to think about the tough stuff. But I think if we don't think about the tough stuff now, we'll lose our opportunity to do something about it while we still can. Luke chapter 12, look at it with me. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? I want you to look with me as we continue to read it. I, I'm, I'm going to kind of overemphasize just a little bit the, the personal pronouns that are used here. Just look at What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here I am again just saying what I said. I think I said this last week. Wow, just wow. <laughs> 
I, me, my, over and over and over again, all about me, all about my safety, all about my security. And God says, fool. I thought the Bible said, don't call anybody a fool. This is God. All wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding saying, fool. Because you've been a short-sighted, materialistic, covetous, worldly person. And I'm telling you this because it's not going to help you in eternity. Because just as Jesus said, right, life doesn't consist of the abundance of things that one possesses. I've said this all through the years that it's so helpful for me to travel outside this country at least once a year, every year, because it recalibrates my compass. Because my compass gets so far off. And I'm not talking about traveling to another part of the world that's equally as rich and <laughs> focused on materialism as our country. I'm talking about traveling to the countries of the world that are desperately poor. Just came back from the Congo, fifth poorest country in the world. Vast majority of the people there, almost 110 million people live on less than $2 a day. You and I wouldn't even know what it's like to live on $2 a day. You and I roll out of the bed in the morning and we've spent probably over $100 a day and you don't even realize it. All the insurance, all the all the house payments, all the car payments, all the different stuff. There's people living right now, right now, a, a whole lot of people living right now in such difficult situations that all they're thinking about is, how do I put some rice and beans on the table today? Jesus just seems to, man, he cuts to the quick, doesn't he? Because far too many only long for and live for selfish, temporary, material things for them if they were totally honest in God's sight. For me to live is cash. For me to live is stuff. For me to live is a bigger and a better and a bigger and a better house. For me to live is just the accumulation of more and more and more. And God calls this person a fool because eventually, guess what happens? They lose their soul and their stuff. Whew. Sometimes it's okay, church, to think about uncomfortable things before it's too late. Because you don't get a redo or a mulligan. This isn't 18 holes of golf. This is the only life you and I have. And what we do with it right here and right now, it counts. Probably the most frequent prayer I pray is just the simple little prayer, God, let my life count for you. Listen, facing and answering uncomfortable questions right now is a lot easier than facing and answering them when it's too late. 
whew, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to give a shameless plug for the Harvest Project. Is that okay? Shameless plug. I mean, think about, think about what would happen for the Harvest Project, 32 missionaries and wonderful ministries making a difference all over this world. By the way, why in the world do we do the, the Harvest Project? I mean, is this just about us supporting our friends? No. Is this just some cool thing that we like to promote? Uh, no. It's about really having a heart together saying, man, we're going to try our best to get Christ and his message to every living person on this planet, and we can't do it alone. Rick Warren says, and I like it, he says, it's not a sin to be a small church. It's a sin to have a small vision. If we all sacrificed one Starbucks a week, I'm, I'm, I'm counting that as a... Uh, $5. That's probably low these days, especially with inflation. Anybody spent, got a Starbucks this last week? You probably paid more than five. $20 a month if you sacrificed one. How about one meal out a week? I took my kids, two of my kids, just two of my kids to Chick-fil-A the other day and it cost us over $60. One meal out a week, I'm, I'm factoring that at $20 a week. That's way low, $80 a month, $100 a month times 12, that's 1,200 a month times 50 to 60 giving units. We ought to be easily, we ought to easily be able to give 60 to $70,000 a year to the Harvest Project. How many of you see what I'm, it's pretty simple math. I don't know about you, but sometimes, uh, sometimes I really wrestle with those words of Jesus, to whom much is given, much is required. For me to live is what? Paul goes on, he says, to die is gain. When living is for Christ, then dying is gain, but not otherwise. Sometimes in our society, man, we... We like, to, we like to just kind of ease over everything, smooth over everything, make everything palatable and nice and acceptable and, and all that kind of thing, you know. And, and sometimes you've got to, just being honest, right? You've got a sinful person who, who dies of cancer and our society tends to say cliche things like, well, he's in a better place now. Really? Not without Christ, he isn't. That's the gospel. There's only one way. Let's stop pretending otherwise, folks. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Amen? It's our job to help people know him. To die, Paul says, to die is gain. To die is gain. Well, what's gain mean? Gain means profit. It, mean, it means when you and I die, there's profit. 
What is profit? Well, everything you receive above and beyond cost or investment. If you're a business person, is that a pretty good definition of profit? Everything you receive above and beyond cost or investment, Rick, that's profit, works for you. When you live for Jesus, truly live your life for Jesus, dying is profit or gain. Whatever, listen, whatever it costs you to live for Christ right now on this earth, in this day and time, that's a sure investment in eternal profit. You're going to receive more, much more in the life to come. How would you like a hundred times more? Jesus talks about that. There's some sacrifice involved. Go back and read it. But he says there's a way to live that's a hundred times more profitable in the age to come. That's a pretty good goal to be living for. Told you before about my dear friend, Brother Al. I, I was a young guy. He was a very elderly man, and we used to travel together. We were kind of the odd couple, and he was an amazing man with a heart for missions, and we would travel to these mission conventions, and he'd been a really successful investor, and he and his brother, they owned a whole bunch of McDonald's, and they'd done really well, and one day I asked him, what's your best investment you've ever made, Brother Al? And he looked at me without even hesitating, and he said, the kingdom of God. Listen, folks, our God is a good God, and he's a generous and a bountiful God. We got to keep our eyes on that, lest we grow weary in well-doing, weary in giving above and beyond, giving radically, sacrificially into his kingdom. Listen, whatever it costs me to serve Jesus, there's eternal gain and profit that's coming my way. Yes, there is. Don't sell yourselves short, folks. There's an eternity ahead with Christ. I love the story of John Wesley. This rich man took him all over his estate, tried to impress him in every way. And John Wesley, he looked at John Wesley, expecting some kind of ooh and ah from John Wesley. And John Wesley just looked at him and said, but there is another world. I'm reading the... I'm reading a biography of David Livingston, one of my mission heroes. He's Scottish, and I come from a Scottish background. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's kind of cool. <laughs> this, this week, I got to the part where his wife Mary he said she was so stubborn. She wanted to be with him. They had been separated for quite some time because of his mission travels and opening up the interior of Africa. And she was like, I've got to be with you. And they had two months before she con contracted malaria and died. And she had wrote a poem, you know, I'm going to watch you live and watch the fruit come from your life and you're going to watch me die. How did people like that do it? I don't know. We don't see many like that these days, do we? Let me read you a little something. Can I, I'm getting off track here just a tad bit. But this touched me this week, and maybe some of you are familiar with this quote. I don't know if you will be or not, but man, did it, uh, did it rock me. This actually comes from a, a post-apocalyptic thriller. 
okay? I, 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 don't, I don't know anything about this book. I'm not endorsing this book. But listen to this quote. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Talk about a cycle. Where are we at in that cycle? It's an interesting question to ponder on, isn't it? Hebrews eleven six. The writer of Hebrews, some think it's Paul. He says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Two things there. Don't want you to miss it, right? He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I, I can't make this case strong enough here this morning because I feel like it's... it's it's a case that isn't being made very often. It's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it. If you give everything for Christ, it's all going to be worth it. You have to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to believe the reward, the profit, the gain is going to be more than the cost that the cost of this present life isn't even worth comparing to the reward. By the way, rewards are a major theme in the New Testament. Have you thought about that lately? It's, it's so helpful to think about, right? Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it'll be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work. Whew. Of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he's built on it endures, he'll receive a what? A reward. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. I can't say that I totally exactly understand what that last part means, but there's going to be some people who get to heaven and are kind of empty-handed. Who are? I know there's not going to be regret in heaven. I, I know that. I, sometimes I can't quite understand how that's all going to pan out, but there are going to be some who are going to be looking around while others are casting their rewards and their crowns, and some are going to be Surely wishing they were too. Hebrews chapter 11, check this one out, right? This is a good one. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Let, let me stop right there. You know what Moses did? He made a decision. He was not going to be seduced by the culture. He was not going to be carried downstream by the perversity and the worldliness of the culture that he was living in. He esteemed the reproach of Christ 
greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. You see what what he's doing here? He's going, hmm, living for Jesus, living for Christ. Christ hadn't even come yet, right? But he, by faith, he understood and he knew and he was looking to that day. Man, living for Christ or living for the pleasures of this world, which, whoa, whoa, which, I guess I got to go this way, right? Because this one's the heavier one, right? (laughs) I'm getting my analogy mixed up. I'm going, wait a minute, it's this way. Because there's more gravity and there's reality and there's depth and there's living for Christ is the right choice. What did he do? I want you to see this little passage right here. Okay, because again, we're just, we're just accentuating a point here that I really want you to get today. For he looked to the what? I'm going to ask you again. For he looked to the what? The reward. Interesting. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured to seeing him who is invisible. Moses chose to suffer affliction because he looked to the reward. He turned away from the corruption of the culture because his eyes were focused on the reward. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses was able to pay the cost because he looked to the reward. He looked to the Lord. He looked to the Lord to sustain him while he waited for the reward. And it should be the same for us. And like I said, I, I just love little memorable things, right, that we can just capture in our hearts and our minds that, that kind of anchor us. And here's one for me. Look to the Lord and remember the reward. Did you say it with me? Look to the Lord and remember the reward. When this world starts to crouch in on you and starts to tempt you to go its way and to, 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 to no longer be generous, to no longer speak of Christ, to, no, to, to just kind of get relaxed, to get comfortable, Just remember this. Look to the Lord and remember the reward. Whenever the enemy just tries to tempt you into his camp, just take a step toward his camp. Would you do this? Would you look to the Lord and remember the reward? Would you say it with me again? What are you going to do when the enemy comes and when the world closes in? You're going to look to the Lord and remember the reward. Listen, if you lose sight of the Lord, you'll lose sight of the reward. You lose sight of the reward, and you'll stop living for the Lord. Two things. Look to the Lord and remember the reward. Quiz question. Anybody here remember final words of Jesus in Scripture? Anybody quote it for me? Revelation twenty two twelve. And behold, I'm coming quickly. And my what? My reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his what? Work. Those of us from the Protestant tradition, right, from the Reformation that occurred in the 1500s, we, we talk a lot about 
being saved by grace and grace alone. And that's so true. But let me just say it this way. Here's what Scripture really teaches. We're saved by grace alone. But we're rewarded by our works. What you do with this life matters. God, let my life count for you. Keep your eyes on that. The reward is infinitely beyond the cost. Infinitely. Listen, Paul knew dying was gain, profit, and reward for him because his living was truly for, for Christ. His dying, you just you couldn't scare Paul with the offer of heaven. You couldn't scare him. By the way, one of the things, you know, the book of Philippians is so full of joy. Every seven verses, you know, there's joy or rejoicing that Paul's talking about as he's sitting in that, that dank, dark dungeon of a prison and praying and hoping and believing to be delivered, right? But ultimately, he's beheaded. Don't forget that. Ian Bounds says it like this, the heaven of fact exists all glorious and enduring. But this fact of heaven must enter our experience. And then of this experience, hope is born. Listen, living for Christ produces rewards later but it should produce fruit right now. Philippians 1.22, Paul says, if I live on in the flesh, this is going to mean fruit from my labor. He's not bragging. It's just a fact of a life that's sold out to Jesus. I'm going to do everything I can in every way possible, in every opportunity available, with every dime I've got to make a difference for Jesus. If I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. The goal is to live for Christ in such a way that I can confidently say there will be fruit from my labor and from my life. There's going to be obvious, tangible, definable, no guessing fruit. I guess I'd put it this way. Will people be in heaven because of you? There's this holy tension that Paul lives with that you can really see and feel here in the verses, right? He, he shows us this holy tension that he lived in between the gain of going to heaven and the fruit of staying on earth. In Philippians 1, 23 and 24, for I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to part, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. He's hard-pressed between heaven and earth. Yeah. You ever find yourself there? Or are you just so satisfied with earth that you can't imagine something that's far better that awaits? That you've just gotten so satisfied here that you've just kind of Set up camp and you're not even looking to the reward. You're not even looking to what lies ahead. You're not even living with that in your, 
out your windshield looking forward. It's interesting because really in a sense, Paul's saying his heart is in heaven, but he has a hand in the harvest. He's kind of hemmed in. He's kind of saying this, man, I want to go and be with Jesus, but wait, I want to live for him and bring in a harvest of souls and make a difference and have an impact on this earth. And I'm torn. I'm torn between the two. I have a desire to depart. I mean, I'm longing. I'm longing. I can feel it in me. I want to be with Jesus, and I want to be in heaven where he is. But it's, and listen, the word, the word he uses here in the Greek, it's, it's very far better. Very far. So I would ask the question because I think our, our theology on heaven is so weak in today's church and today's world. Why is heaven very far better? Why, why would Paul say, yeah, man, my desire is to go and be with Jesus because heaven is very far better. Why? Do, do we even have a reasonable answer for that? Let me just start here. I'm going to tell you what's not there. We'll start there with what's not there. There's no devil. There's no Hamas. There's no terrorism. There's no torture. There's no tears. There's no death. There's no sorrow. There's no crying. There's no pain. There's no fear. There's no doubt. There's no babies being beheaded. There's no wickedness, there's no violence, there's no immorality. There's no witchcraft, there's no idolatry, there's no lies. Okay, let me just sum it up. There's no sin. And what is there? 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, you and I will see and behold God face to face. Bishop Patrick, I love, I love so many of the the great forefathers of the faith, 1600, said this, seeing God in his glory, when we're strengthened to bear it, will be a perpetual source of bliss. Then all the attributes of God will shine forth and we shall see the beauty of his holiness, the splendor and brightness of his understanding, the largeness of his love, his uncorrupted justice, his unexhausted goodness, his immovable truth, his uncontrollable power, his vast dominions, which yet he fills with his presence and administers their affairs with ease and is magnified and praised in them by the throng of all of his creatures. 1 John chapter 3 says, that when we get to heaven, we're going to be like him. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll get there in a year or two. No, I'm just kidding. Says that we're going to have the same resurrection body that Jesus does. If you're struggling with that diet program, don't worry. Better things are ahead, folks. Revelation 21, 7 says, we're going to inherit all things with Jesus. Revelation 22, 5 says, we're going to reign forever with him. That's just to name a few things, folks. There's a whole long list. 
Richard Carpenter in the 1600s said this, In God we shall have riches without care, honor without fear, beauty without fading, joy without sorrow, contentment without vexation, and all good things, not one after one, but all together and without the defects annexed to them in this imperfect world. How's that sound? Is that a reward worth living for, worth investing in? worth giving your life to, worth laying down the comforts of this day and age for? I sure hope so, because Paul knows that being with Jesus in heaven is very far better because of what isn't there and what is there. And he also knows that staying on earth and producing kingdom fruit and having an impact in this life is important and necessary. He's hard pressed between the two choices. Nevertheless, he knows the greater need is to stay and impact lives. Living with your heart in heaven and your hand in the harvest, that's what living for Christ is all about. He finishes our passage with this and being confident of this. I know I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by coming, my coming to you again. In other words, let me just translate it this way. When I show up, y'all are going to be thanking Jesus because I'm going to continue to help you grow in your faith and I'm coming and I'm going to encourage and help and impact your lives. Wherever Paul went, remember, it's either a riot or revival. So as we close today, when we live for Christ, for me to live is What? When it's Christ, his kingdom comes first. It's the priority. And there's fruit that follows. There's kingdom impact. And then when dying comes, whenever that may be, it's profit and reward and it's very far better, way worth the cost of living for Christ. We even face death with an indestructible joy. But we got to keep our eyes on Jesus to sustain us in this journey while we wait for the reward of Jesus. He's coming quickly, and his reward is with him. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Lord, your word, your word wrecks me. It just wrecks me at times. I look into the mirror of your word, and it just... It calls me, it calls me to lay down the, the small ambitions, to lay down the worldly enticements, to lay down all the distractions, to lay down all the besetting sins. Your word calls me. It's living and it's active. It's, it's, it's always separating those thoughts and intents of my very heart saying, okay, this is what's of me and this is what's got to go. Lord, I want it to be said of me, and I think everybody here probably would want it to be said of them. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. God, if we can live that way, what an amazing journey this can be. As we have one hand, our heart, our heart in heaven, and and our hand in the harvest living out a fruitful life for your glory. God, let our lives count for you. God, let our lives count for you. 
Let us look to you, Lord, and remember the reward. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Can you give the Lord praise today? Can you give him praise? Amen.